Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positive Pessimist Podcast. It's Wrestling Wednesday. My guest today is Eric Aiken. This is our second interview. Eric was a three-time Kansas State champion. He's a four-time Division I All-American and NCAA finalist for Iowa State. He's a world team member at every level, cadet juniors and senior level. He's a two-time Olympic alternate. He's in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And I always looked up to this guy, and we had a great first interview, so I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So without any further ado, let's bring him in. There he is, the man. Howdy. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You look like he could still wrestle, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm in pretty good shape. I mean, I weigh uh, I weigh the same that I weighed the day that I walked on campus. Oh, yeah? 143? Yeah, 140. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to our, our interview from last night to make sure I didn't ask you all the same stuff. And uh, I remember you saying that I, I actually weigh 162, which is the same that I weighed my senior year of high school before I started my cut down to 140. So, uh, yeah, good for us. Yeah, you know, a lifetime of wrestling, it'll it gets you in shape. I mean, you build a core, you know, since you're a little kid. So when you decide to get healthy or if you stay healthy, it, it's not that hard, really. Yeah. When I, I quit drinking 12 years ago and it, and weight just fell off me. I mean, I got up to like 190 at one point in my life and I did not look good. <laughs> and yeah, in, in some ways I'm a lot healthier than I was in my mid twenties, you know, other than my right knee. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you how your, uh, how your dad's doing your parents in general, but especially your dad. Cause I know he had that heart attack. Yeah, he's doing good. He, uh, now, that was a few years ago, maybe two, two okay. and a half. But uh, yeah, he recovered well and he's doing really good. And uh, he's just a happy dude. And um, he's grateful for every day that he lives on the planet. Yeah. Well, I would still love to have him on the podcast. He's uh, he's kind of he hasn't rejected me flat out, but he just hasn't really responded when I've been like, I'd like to get you on the podcast. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, you might have to get a lot of those beeps, you know, that censors out the words. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no but yeah, Sorry. He, he won't use any profanity, but he'll definitely tell you what he thinks about anything you ask him almost. <laughs> yeah, well, I would love to hear it. I always looked up to your dad a lot. Um, and I, I was reading an article just this morning um, about you, and you were talking about your dad, and I'd never heard you say this before, but you said... He was the Dan Gable of carpentry. Why did you call him that? Um, well, I mean, everything I ever learned from him as far as carpentry and handyman and um, power tools. I mean, everything that you want to do with your hands, I I learned from him. And he, he just through my uh, life of learning carpentry from him and uh, other um, other crafts. Um, I learned he had tricks of the trade that like other people didn't know, you know, and carpenters and plumbers, electricians, craftsmen of that age, man, they have tricks and things that people don't know. And it's a lot like um, old wrestling coaches, you know, like um, or older people in, in wrestling, people might say, well, he's old. What's he know? Well, you know what I say? I say he's old. What doesn't he know? <laughs> what mistakes has he not made? You know, and that's what people learn from his mistakes. 
And, uh, but my dad's taught me things, not just in wrestling, but in, in, uh, in life and in craftsmanship. And, um, but I saw those secrets he had. And a lot of those guys are, they're dying out, man. I mean, they're retiring or they're getting too old and they, there's no more carpenters that know some of that stuff and craftsmen. And there's guys like that. I might be in their garage just visiting or seeing my dad or something. And I'll see something. I'll be like, what is that? And, and he'll be, Oh, you don't know what that's for here. Let me show you. And it's amazing to me that, you know, there's, there's still tools that are usable by people like that, that younger people don't even know what they are. And, uh, technology is kind of like that. Wrestling's kind of like that. So, but you see a lot of things come back around, you know, and in wrestling technique wise, you know, you see people doing something and they call it new and you're like, man, I saw John Smith doing that in 1987 or something like that. Yeah. Would you say you got a lot of your work ethic from your dad? Like I didn't get to, I, I didn't get to wrestle with you a lot beyond kids, but I always heard how hard of a worker you were. Did you get a lot of that from your dad? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, my mom deserves some credit too. She's a super hardworking person. And, uh, my dad taught me wrestling, you know, my mom taught me work ethic too, and everything else that it takes to be a good wrestler. But they grew up in Southwest Oklahoma where you get out of school for your, for a few weeks to pick cotton, you know, and you, you work your butt off yeah. and you know, that's how it was back then. So they, they grew up hard labor people. So, my dad was a carpenter framing homes when I grew up. So on the weekends and holidays and spring breaks, things like that, I, I went and carried studs, you know, we pulled up to a job site and my dad would say, see that bundle of studs over there. We needed up on the second floor by noon, you know? So in at home, it was wheelbarrowing logs or rocks to the back or to the front or something like that. So he taught me work ethic, but through that, I think what he taught me was, uh, to uh, accept discomfort when you're uncomfortable, you suck it up. When you're uncomfortable, you find a reason to make it comfortable. You know, when you get out to the job site in three days before Christmas, cause you're on Christmas break and the wind's blowing and it's 27 degrees and you know, you're going to be there eight hours, you know, so you suck it up. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. So you might as well like it because it's going to be more miserable if you don't like it. So, I think comfort zones and comfort level in that mindset, something that I really, really learned from my dad a lot. You know, that's, those are valuable um, qualities to learn those things. And as a wrestling coach and in the normal world and everything, I mean, I pretty much, I see that every day where I think, man, they, this individual or these people or these kind of people or this culture or myself, needs to learn a little more discomfort, you know, learn to find discomfort as your comfort zone. Yeah. And in wrestling, when you're training, that's when you really excel because you get to those spots where it's uncomfortable. And instead of wanting to quit, it hits your adrenaline like, oh man, Peter, I just hit the gold. My heart rate's that high. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm tired. It's tough. It's hard. Every bit of that counts. That's part of the price I'm paying. And it all goes into a bank that goes towards my goal because my goal has a price. And I don't know the, I don't know what the price is. 
it just has a price tag and I know it. I don't know the price. Right. So that's why you do those kind of things that in wrestling. That's why you learn to accept discomfort to get to those levels. Speaking of uh, Dan Gable, um, I read this really interesting article the other day from uh, Wade Shallis that he wrote about, you know, Flo had like the top 100 wrestlers or whatever, and they left a lot of people off the list. And there's a lot of factors involved. But um, his 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 number one wrestler of all time was was Dan Gable. And he had some pretty solid reasons for why. Do you have an opinion on who the best ever is? Um, I mean, I would I would go with Gable, too, because, you know, I've I've been around him, you know, I've been around John Smith as well. I haven't really been around Jordan Burroughs, but when it comes to medals, we know who, we know who the goat is, you know, Jordan right. Burroughs. But, um, and some people want to say things like, you know, Gable, you know, Gable wouldn't have his style, this and that he wouldn't have excelled nowadays or whatever, or this guy or that guy, or John Smith wouldn't have got by on just the low single, but it really wasn't about their technique and their strength and what kind of wrestler they were. They had all those gifts a wrestler needs. It was about their mindset. And I would bet every dollar I have that if Dan young Dan Gable was plugged into 2020, 2023, we're going to see the same results because his mindset was going to rise him to the level of the competition, no matter what he's part of the cream and it's going to rise to the top no matter what time zone he's in or um, generation or whatever. That's yeah. the way I feel about that. But um, I think Gable has, was one of our first role models as like that mindset that wrestlers have that we, we saw like what he, he was all about mentally when he was young and uh, it kind of molded a lot of us, you know, and that molded our coaches who molded us and on down the line. Yeah, the tentacles of Dan Gable, I mean, spreads out through all all of college wrestling and all that. You can always you can point to like on, on almost every team, you can be like that guy wrestled for Gable or he wrestled for a guy who wrestled for Gable or, you know, um so the tentacles of it and the sheer dominance of how bad he just beat the crap out of everyone. I had Randy Lewis on here and he told me that that uh the day after he pinned or maybe a couple days after, the day after he pinned the one the Number one guy at 149 and a half pounds, he thought, well, now I can finally beat Gable. And Gable was in his like mid forties at the time. And he said he went in there and he's like, today we're gonna we're gonna wrestle. And he said Gable beat him. He got the first takedown, and then Gable probably beat him like 50 to 2. Just kicked his ass all over the place. And the stories like that. And I heard he could do that to the Bannock brothers, you know, and they were Olympic champions and they were ginormous. So you know, the, the article that, that Shallis wrote really, you know, opened my eyes a little bit. I mean, obviously, I thought Game, Dan Gable was one of the best, but it was a really great article. So I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Um, and I also wanted to ask how your boy Johnny's doing at William Jewell. Uh, he's doing good. But let me tell you something real quick about Gable and being how strong he was. Okay. Is what you reminded me of is when, when I got done at Iowa State and I went to Iowa as part of the Hawkeye Club. So... Gable would run practice, you know, he's part of the, he's the team, you know, the, the coach, you know, that's still the D one coach. It was his last two years and he trained the Hawkeye club too. And, uh, but Gable would, um, sometimes come up to certain people. I was one of them during practice or whatever. And he'd say, Hey, after, after practice, can you stick around so I can 
you know, I want to roll around a little bit. You know, I want to do some wrestling, you know, and he was, you know, I think he'd already had his fake hips or it's around the time he was getting them or whatever. So he didn't really want to wrestle neutral. And it, although he could, if he wanted to, could, you know, and, but he, you would go down and he'd be, he just wanted to work on pinning people. He used to love pinning people so much, you know, and he'd be like, come on, fight. And, you know, and I would fight with everything that I had and he would just rip my arm back and put his chicken wing on and turn me over and half and let me back. And I would fight off and he would tell me to fight harder. Come on, fight harder. And uh, it was just amazing how, you know, I was, I mean, I was still a pretty good wrestler. I was just out of college. I was ranked in, you know, the international scene and, it was amazing how he could just like roll me over to play with me. Like I was a toddler <laughs> and uh, there, there was a workout once where my, my partner um, had to hit the showers. Gable told him to hit the showers because he, uh, he got in a fight with Terry brands with Terry attacked him because I don't want to say the guy's name, but I, I was hammering him at practice and he was moaning out loud. Ah, ah, and he was, he kept belly aching and getting up real slow. And, and Terry said put a bullet in him. And I, I didn't even look over where brands was. I just kept looking at my partner and my partner was like, shut up, Terry. And he, Terry's like, quit your whining, whining Sally. And he said, I can whine if I want to. And all I saw was beeline from brands coming from my left. I just stepped back. He tackled him. He starts beating up on my partner, you know, throwing, throwing hands and Tom and Gable, peeled him off and, and told my partner, here, you hit the showers and Gable, we're almost done. So Gable's like, here, you go with me, hand fight only, you know, no shots. And he, he grabs me and his biceps felt like softballs. And I was just, I couldn't even move him. And he was just pulling my head down and I had to back out with my hips and he's pushing me around. And all of a sudden I'm not getting a good workout and it's the end of my workout, but I already had a good workout, but it just ruined the very last few minutes. And I, I was a little upset about that. And, but and I was more upset that Gable was just stuffing my head down and just beating <laughs> me up with his big biceps. So yeah. uh, the, the practice ended pretty soon after that, luckily. And I was out of the grips of Gable. Yeah. I've heard that his hands were just like, like, like something bionic or something. They were just so freaking strong. He was a strong man. Yeah. Um, you were asking about my son, Johnny. He went to William Jewell last year. He transferred to UCM and okay. uh, he, re he registered at UCM. I mean, he registered at William Jewell this year. He's a, uh, um, he got a medical red shirt. He had shoulder surgery and then he had to have a little bicep surgery after that. So it's been a, um, a challenging season, but um, he's going to fight back and do what he has to do. And just, that's what you do when you hit bottom, you know, you, and I've trained him that way since he was a little kid. And I taught him all the time things like I told him how you always have your eyes on these on these peaks. We go for these peaks constantly and we think about them. That's our goal, state champ, national champ, whatever it is. But it's the the valleys and the canyons and the cliffs and the fall downs that really, really build the character values that are going to stick with you forever and like get you through a wrestling season, get you through a wrestling career make you into a good brother a good a good son a good father and a husband someday you know all the important things but so when things like this happen we just embrace them as an opportunity to dig gold and that's what you do you find gold in it and you just you go for it as hard as you can and you do what you have to do to get to, from point a to point b 
Yeah. What What's the hardest part for you? Because you're the head coach at St. Thomas Aquinas. What What's the hardest part for you about coaching? Do you ever, as in, as intense as you were, do you ever get worn out with athletes um, if, if they're not working as hard as you would have? Or is, is there anything that makes um, you mad at an athlete? I don't. I don't really get that frustration too much because all my kids at St. Thomas Aquinas work really hard. I don't have any issues with like, man, this guy doesn't work hard. And I never stress on that. or I never get mad about it, which is kind of nice, but um, it also has a lot to do with my coaching style and uh, my length of practice and how I run practice and those details. I really don't want to give those details away too much because I feel like it's my best weapon. And, uh, by the end of the season, my guys are still charged up and ready to go. And I see a lot of other teams that don't look like that, but we tend to peak at the end. I don't know if that's what we're doing right, but um, we're doing something right. But I'd say the hardest part about coaching is my guys that don't reach their goal. You know, the, my guys that fall a little shorter, you know, um, they might get injured. That doesn't upset me as much. I mean, no one likes an injury, but it's another one of those opportunities where you're like, okay, you got injured there's no one doing it by worrying. So what you have to do now is accept the challenge of the injury and come back from it and build off of that and look where you get from where you got, you know, where you started. And, uh, but the, the part about the guys not reaching their goals, like at state, we had, we had five in the semifinals and our guys prepared really well and they gelled and they were, they were relaxed and they were ready to go. And they, we won all five matches. And uh, that was exciting. That was like um, dominating the arena. You know, you're, you're all five in the biggest round pretty much and you, and everyone wins. But the next night, you know, three guys won and two guys lost. And, uh, you know, so for a few days or a week or a couple of weeks, whatever, you know, people are like, hey, man, that's awesome. You got five in the finals and three of them won. And you got three champs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, no, man, we left two dudes on the other side of the river. And uh, we didn't get them across and that doesn't sit good. And, uh, you know, that's just, but what that does is it creates an obstacle for next year and a mountain to climb. So those guys, we already, you know, we're, we're on that goal hard, you know, those guys that didn't win it and they got there and they got a taste of it and we're this close. And so next time we're getting them over the water. So you went five for five in that semifinal round though. Yeah, we went five for five. So it's pretty exciting. What did you guys end up placing as a team? We were third place as a team. We had there's some really uh stacked teams. I think uh Mays may have had eight in the semis and won six of them. Okay. And I don't know how many they won in the finals, I forgot, but I just knew they won it and they did a they did a really good job. Um and Aquinas is five A. Aquinas is five A, yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I saw you in a, in a few of those matches. I was watching the finals, and I was like, hey, there's Aiken. Um, yeah, so, a, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just going to say it's a it's a 5A school. It's a really good place to coach. It's like a great school, and the, the kids love the academics, and, like, the people that come there end up, like, saying, man, if I wouldn't have wrestled, this still would have been the best place for me, you know. And I've had kids that maybe they went through middle school with a um, – like a, they had a learning disability and a para and everything. And, and they thought it was going to be real challenging to come to Aquinas. And they, they came there and like never ended up on study hall one time. They like 
excelled right when they got there and they ended up with making it to um, division one schools and things like that. So um, the kids and the, the kids that I got there and they like attract other kids and it's just kind of like, it builds itself. It's, it feels kind of awesome. It's kind of cruise control. I still work to become, become a better coach all the time. But um, as far as building a program, it's not like when I got there eight years ago and they only had two wrestlers and I had to work really, really hard at just like forming a little nucleus to build a team. And now it's just snowballing and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You guys have come a long way and you know, it's, it's such a small world. You coached uh, Anthony Gaona, who his dad, George, he and I were like brothers in seventh and eighth grade. We were so tight and uh, he ended up going to Nebraska for five years and, and, and doing pretty well for himself. So he did. He cool. went up there and uh, he stuck it out for the whole time. And he went to those practices every day. He doesn't have any accolade like all American or national champion in division one or anything like that, but he made it through that program. And if you make it through a college wrestling program, I don't care what division it is, you accomplish something. And I mean, that's hard to do. And he's actually moving back to the area and uh, he has a job here and he's going to be one of my assistant coaches next year. So next year I'm actually going to have two Gayonas and two Aikens on the same staff. It'll be pretty cool. And uh, he's, he's going to be, he's going to help my heavier guys excel because he went through that program for four or five years and the skills that he gained, maybe he didn't gain a bunch of accolades, but the skills and the mindset that he gained from going through a division one program is going to be, priceless as a as an assistant coach for us yeah i mean if he could get in a time machine and go back and wrestle himself his senior year he would beat the crap out of himself <laughs> for sure. um so yeah i say that to people all the time if you can make it through you know if you, you even if you never start you know you're gonna get so much better and tougher and 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 uh so that's awesome to hear i'm glad to hear that his dad was I, always tough i encouraged my kids and other kids too that I don't even coach in the high school season, I encourage them all the time. Like either take either path, pick a college where you think you're going to wrestle varsity and get a shot at being an all American national champ, whatever, doesn't matter what division, what team, if that's your goal, pick one that fits that. If not, if your goal is just to go be a part of a D one team and you don't care if you wrestle varsity or not, you just want to go there and be a part of it and learn the mindset and, and wrestle the people and be a partner like Gayona did. It's the same to me. It's, it's the same value. It's the same mountain and it's a, it'll pay um, dividends for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you get to watch a lot of wrestling? Like, like D one, do you still watch a lot like the senior level and all that? Do you watch a lot? Yeah. Whenever it's on TV, I watch it. And then if it's not on TV, I watch it on flow wrestling or whatever else is showing it. And I don't, pretty much don't miss the world team trials or the NCAA championships, the big 12s, the big 10s. I watch all that. I make sure I have those days off work or I have nothing else planned so I can um, watch it all because you learn a lot watching it, but it's also exciting. You know, I love watching wrestling, but um, I love watching football too and a couple other sports, but um, I watch a lot of sports and I love to watch um, really any athlete, um, win that gold medal, you know, like do the, make the buzzer beater or win a match at the end or 
win an NCAA title or an Olympic gold or, you know, those kind of things are awesome. And they're similar to other things in life that, I mean, I love watching people that um, maybe gain sobriety or, or beat addiction or something like that. You know, it's the same as watching someone who like wins a gold medal and it's like, it's a miracle. Yeah. It's hard so, work. It's a miracle. What did you think about Chance Marsteller knocking off Burroughs and, and not only knocking him off, but like you just mentioned, um, I mean, he's, you know, he said, he said before to himself, he's admitted that he's always going to be an addict, but he's definitely um, on the other side of it right now. And hopefully he'll stay there. Um, what, what, what was that like for you to watch? Yeah, it's awesome, man. I mean, to see someone not only beat the best ever, but, um, his story about beating addiction and I mean, dang. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I've, I've, I would love to get him on my, on my podcast. Um, and so far I haven't been able to, but yeah. And Jordan, Jordan Burroughs is, I mean, everything he's done for the sport as a role model is awesome too. I mean, I was pretty much happy for either guy that, that won that match. And, um, it, it kind of seemed like Marcel almost beat him three times in one day. So it's like, yeah. what that dude just did i mean has anyone ever even beaten burroughs twice or three times you know ever and, uh, other than kyle dake the day he beat him off the olympic team um no i don't believe so or chimizo maybe chimizo has one or two wins i don't know yeah and i think that sitikoff guy beat him i mean that's the thing about jordan too um i mean he's won seven world titles but he's this close from being a nine time at least finalist um you know, he, he lost both times in like the last second on a push out. So, I mean, he's right there to be a nine time world champion. And there's only a couple guys in history, Russians who have done that. Um, so even yeah. if his, even if his career is over, which I don't know if it is, um, he, uh, he's something, he's something else, dude. Just to see someone stay at that level for that long at anything. Yeah. Um, anything that's um top level or any any field you know yeah. if it's a field or a sport or what um to to be that good at it for that long and in wrestling especially because i mean to make way all those times to have your cardio right where it has to be all the time your strength your injuries your body your mindset your timing everything that many years in a row, man, just to get it to click one time is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Um, I totally got off track and forgot about it. Um, what do you think about these new rules? Speaking of like college and stuff, have you been able to, to look at those really? Um, <laughs> the only thing I don't like about new rules is I don't remember them well. And it takes me, you know, I'll be thinking it's a two point takedown and now it's three. But um, when I wrestled, they changed the rules so many times that if I talk about a U.S. Open or an Olympic trials or something like that, and I'm telling you about a, one of my matches or whatever, I hardly remember was, oh, was that two, three minute periods or one six minute period? Or was it when you had to clinch or was it when, you know, I, it's hard to remember what rules were, which rules I was wrestling in. And at the time I had the same attitude as this, as I didn't really care what the rules were and no matter what they changed it to, I knew I had to take the guy down, couldn't get taken down and I wanted to pin him. And whatever the rule changes were, 
I just always felt like they, um, they gave me an advantage. You know, they added a push out rule and I thought, well, I push people out more than they push me out. No one pushes me around. I go forward and then, you know, you can gut as many times as you want or, um, um, I don't remember what all the rules were, but anytime it changed, I didn't care. I was just like, I don't care. You make up any rule you want. If it's wrestling, you can make up 10 different kinds of rules. I'll do every one of them. And I think I'll be good at all of them. Yeah. Well, and rest, rest, wrestlers are like prisoners almost. Like they adapt and they figure out what, how to like game the system. I kind of personally wish they wouldn't have made so many changes. I think they just need to fix stalling. Like I see them letting guys stall on top all the time. And it seems like they only hit guys that are underneath and they're already getting beat by 12 points. And I'm like, you're not doing yeah. it. You're not, you know, why don't you hit the guy for stalling? when he's stalling and that would add a lot of excitement to to wrestling as far as i'm concerned if, if they're worried about it being exciting um but and i don't know i kind of have a theory that wrestling's never going to be huge because it's too freaking hard and unless you did it you don't want to watch it or you don't understand it and maybe i'm wrong i don't know but um i don't know do you have an opinion on that um yeah i mean there's there's probably multiple factors that affect why wrestling is not the one of the biggest sports in America. And uh, number one is, I mean, like you said, it is hard and it, it's a hard sport. It's a hard lifestyle. I mean, to, it's incredible to me. I was talking about this the other day, how I, you know, I'm like, I was talking about how wrestlers are a different breed. And I go, man, these dudes, these kids, there's eight, nine, 10 year olds losing three to four pounds in a week. You know, he, he weighs 69 on, monday and he's getting down to 65 by saturday and stuff like that two or three pounds and stuff's not unsafe you know and and when kids do that it, it doesn't their body's not missing out on time that they would grow when when you get done at the end of the season your body catches up instantly i've seen it happen to my own body and other people for years and your body catches up it's kind of I mean, I guess doing the wrong kind of weight cutting for a long enough time could stunt your growth. But in a season, if I'm trying to get down to 125, and my body wants to weigh 140. When I get done wrestling at the end of the year, my body's going to bounce right back up to 140. Okay. But okay. I got off track a little bit there, but wrestling's hard. You know, you got to lose weight. You have to have your cardio. You have to go to practices all the time where you're you're bumping heads with other kids. You're getting, your face is getting bumped. You know, at first kids start out wrestling and they shoot in, they kind of turn, you know, and some of them, like some of them go straight in. You can tell, Oh, that kid must have big brothers. He's got a hard nose and a hard face. And the kids start to learn to keep their face straight and it's training. And I mean, you have to, you train your body physically, your face, your head, it's like a shield. And then you have to skip some meals and you have to maybe skip Christmas and Christmas meal or something like that. So, I mean, you're training these kids from a very young age to accept discomfort for something that pays off later. So I think that's awesome about wrestling, but at the same time, it's human tendency to choose the easy way out on everything. And I mean, there's all kinds of examples from technology to whatever that do that for us, but um, we choose easier paths. And I think, wrestling's an easier um, harder path to choose as an athlete and it poses more challenges for the parents to like get their kid to more practices and drive them further across the state and find partners in the right 
the right group for their kid and the right coaches. And, you know, it's, a, it's challenging. It's a lifestyle. But um, I think it's not something that Americans can just decide, hey, you want to go wrestle? Let's go wrestle each other. And or let's go do karate or let's go do jujitsu against each other. You, you can't really do that unless you grow up learning. It's, a, it's ingrained in your your senses and your reaction time and your mindset. And you you feel things with your vision. I mean, it, it's not like watching a sport on TV and going and imitating it. Now, yeah. I mean, I'll, man, if I go try to play tennis, I'll break my ankles. <laughs> That's a lot more <laughs> sport people think. But I can I can imitate basketball or football when I'm playing it with a bunch of other wrestlers, you know, but a bunch of other re- football players or basketball players that don't wrestle or never have. They're not going to go imitate wrestling and play it for fun. Yeah. What's the most brutal weight cut you ever remember? Speaking of that, do you do you have one in particular that almost killed you or anything? Yeah. One time uh, it was 1996 and it was the Olympic year. And, um, we were headed, it was in between nationals and Olympic trials, I think. No, it was before nationals because it was the first time I made the weight 52 kilos or whatever. It was 114 and a half pounds. I made after I wrestled 118 in college. And then I wrestled 57 kilos my first year of freestyle. And I placed at the U S open. And then the next year I went da- back down to the lighter weight. And, uh, so I went, I was chosen to go to the Pan Am games and, um, Cali, Colombia, South America. And, uh, we fly in, we get there late at night. It's pretty late, but we land in, uh, um, um, Cali, I think, and, or Bogota or something like that. And we took a bus through the, basically in the jungle. It's crazy. It was really cool looking. And, uh, we get to this hotel late at night. And, uh, one of the guys on our bus was from, um, Fila, like the head ref. And, uh, he, he stands up before we get off the bus and he says, he goes in his accent. He's like, all of the delegations are present now. We will we will weigh in tomorrow and wrestle Thursday. And we all thought we had like two and a half to three days to make weight. It was something like that. We thought we were going to practice for a couple of days and then make weight. And this is the first time I've made this cut, you know. And I mean, right now I'm sitting at about 10 pounds over, about 124 and a half. You know, and I have to make 114 and a half. And, uh, it's late at night. So it's not even 24 hours, but anyway, I, I ended up working out that night and then I work out the next day, pretty much a f- couple of times. And it was real humid there. It's different. It's like the rainforest and, and it's, you know, what you're breathing. It feels like you're like sucking in steam or mist and it's weird and it's hard to breathe. And it was my first time down at that weight and we just traveled and flew. I saw jet lag and I'm in this sun. It was, one of the craziest, grossest saunas you've ever seen. And when I got in there, I was like afraid to touch and sit down on anything. And I had all my stuff. I got my plastics and everything on. But by the end of my weight cut, I, I darn near had my, my face down by the crack at the bottom of that door, trying to get some fresh air. I didn't care about a germ after that, but um, I ended up making weight. Um, I lost first round to a Cuban world champ uh, in overtime or criteria or something. I ended up getting third place, but I ended up having more matches than everybody. And I tech falled everybody and I got ahead by like nine and I like got a four point move and beat them like 13 to zero. And that happened a couple of different times. So in the finals of the tournament, they're giving out all the awards and they they're giving out the most outstanding wrestler. 
and uh, they called it mejor técnico, which means most technical in English. But um, and I probably didn't say that right in Spanish, but who cares? But anyway, they call my name and I'm like, I think they mean you, dude. You beat the world champ in the finals. I'm telling Les Gutches. He's sitting right next to me. He beat a world champ, Yoel Romero, in the finals. I'm like, how come they're, they're reading? They got them passports mixed up or whatever. They always have your passport <clears throat> or your visa in a stack. They take it at the tournament and they call you by that name. And it's weird. I don't know why they take your passport, but sometimes they do. And uh, I went up there and I tried to tell the translator, the lady, you know, like, hey, I got third. I, the, I didn't win the outstanding wrestler, the most technical award. And uh, she was like, well, actually, you scored the most points in the event. So you won this. And I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. I'm in my street clothes having like a taco or something. You know, <laughs> get to wrestle in the finals. These guys are on their warm ups and bleeding and sweating and stuff still. And I'm standing there with basically Gutch's award but I still got it to my house. It's cool. It's glass and it's really neat trophy. Yeah. That's awesome. Less gutches dude. That guy was a freaking monster. Wasn't he? He still is. I saw him not too long ago and I'm like, Jesus, that guy could still freaking make a world team. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. He's huge. Yeah. He's healthy. Huge. He's got that core I'm talking about. And people are like, how are you still in that good shape? How old are you? You know, and, it's that wrestling core. I mean, you do things with your, your abs and your body and your hips and things that uh, most people don't do. You take it as normal when you're a kid and a teenager and growing up in college and whatever, but it yeah. pays off, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of uh, overseas stuff, the, 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 when I shared that memory of our last podcast, some guy commented, um, next time you have him on, ask him about some of his overseas stories. He's got some crazy overseas stories. Um, <laughs> so I meant to ask you last night and by the time I thought about it, it was too late. So, uh, I didn't give you a lot of time to think about it, but can you think of one that's, uh, like a crazy overseas story? Uh, I mean, those kind of things just pop in my head, you know, like randomly. And, uh, most of my stories, it's kind of like a random DVDs that fly around and get, popped in and I started <laughs> buying them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, it was, there were some crazy stories. There's some crazy stories and some experiences that uh, people like to hear about like that. But most of all, more than the stories, it was just like soaking it up in the experience or what you're doing. I guess one, one that was kind of crazy that, that I like a lot. One story I, I replay a lot in my head is we were in Cuba and uh, I went to Cuba two times and we're in a place we stay. It's called the Pan American Village, and it's kind of like a gated community right by Havana or in Havana or a suburb or whatever they would call it. But it had like a health club. Would they call it a health club? It, you know, when you say those words here, people don't really know what to envision when you've been to another country. Their Olympic training center in another country might not look as our, good as our jails. You know, right. Johnson County jails, way nicer building than the Ukrainian. Olympic training center I've been to or the Cuban Olympic training center I've been to. I mean, there's stone buildings with holes where a window would be, but just a stone hole, you know, and, uh, one rack of weights, things like that. But, um, so we're in this Pan American village. This guy came up to me and he was like, Hey, you want cigars? Cause most of the time Americans want to take back a couple of boxes and give them away, sell them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when you're training trying to make money, and you can get cigars for $50 a box and bring them home, make about 400 on that same box. You know? So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I want cigars. And he was like, he pulls out a business card and he, he 
six it in front of my face and it had a handwriting like several different handwritings of names on it and uh like matt linland rulon gardner a couple other greco guys and i was like i realized the greco team came through they signed this guy's card so that whoever saw it would be like ah so i was like hey good job dude that's a good reference sheet you did it that's a good sale you're my man you're gonna so he took me and one of my buddies alan freed wrestled at oklahoma state took me and freed into havana and uh we we drove up to these you know these big buildings and he he's driving a 57 chevy taxi and this thing's like beat up and dented and it, it was crazy looking it was totally authentic and it was straight off the national geographic this whole scene we were in it was neat so we're driving downtown and there's these big buildings that say like monte cristo and Coiba across the top is the factories where they make the tobacco and uh so we drive behind one of them in this alley this kid runs across the alley and nothing but shorts no shoes no shirt carrying a pineapple right across i was like whoa and that was when i thought like this is just, just like national geographic like a tour through havana and uh, he stops right by this back of this building and walk he's like okay we're here and there's a steel door there and i'm like what and it's dented and it's i'm like this might be the end of my life and thanks uh, <laughs> on this steel door and this guy opens it up and you know cracks it open and they say something he's like swings it open we go in it's like an apartment and it must be where the people that work in the factories live. And uh, then um, there's three dudes. And then one girl comes out with a, these platters that have all the cigar boxes on them. And we dealt with them and we did what we had to do and went back to the Pan American village and went to our next workout, got ready to wrestle. But it was, it was a good little field trip, kind of like off the beaten path. You're there to wrestle and, and I always tried to make sure I would do something event adventurous. And uh, if we had the time to like get off the beaten path and maybe meet locals or go sightseeing and, you know, go to the Eiffel tower, it's just a few minutes away. You're just sitting here in a hotel room, a dorm room. You know, we went to the French Olympic training center too. And the Johnson County jail is nicer than that as well. <laughs> yeah. Alan Friedman. Uh, do you still stay in contact with that dude? Um, you know, we haven't talked a whole bunch over the years, but yeah, recently we, we did speak and uh, he's, he seems to be doing really good. And him and I and another one of our junior world team member um, team members that we're friends with, all three friends, um, Roy Hall. He's the head wrestling coach at Davidson, Michigan. And uh, most wrestling people are going to know who that is. He's he wrestled in college at Purdue and he also wrestled at Michigan State, but he um he's coached some of the greatest wrestlers we've seen in the last couple of decades, Mark Hall, um, John Reeder, um, Paul Donahoe, uh, Matt Calf from Iowa. They all went to his high school. So he's a great high school coach. I pick his brain, but a little bit, mostly we talk about old times and um, catch up stuff like that. But us three kind of, we're in a little group text together and, talking about some of the old times when we were in Germany together on the junior world team. And, you know, some of those memories will live forever. Some of us have pictures and we share them with each other and it, it brings back some great memories. I bet Alan Freed was a freaking stud, man. I remember when he pinned brands at the Midlands, I believe in like 40 seconds or something. And um, yeah, he, he had the misfortune of being in brands bracket like every year, I think, but he was, he, I mean, he did win a national championship and he was still considered one of the best ever, but 
to uh yeah i think what what else did he do wasn't he a junior world champion he got fourth at the junior worlds that year um okay. he we were talking about that on the um group text actually he he had he should have been the world champ he had two really highly controversial losses semifinals and third maybe he won for third i can't remember it seemed like he got ripped off in both for some reason but um it was against the North Korean and they, they just ended the match. He won. They changed the score. It, it was ridiculous, but he won um, junior nationals, what they call Fargo, but it was in Sierra Falls. And he won that four times the junior division. He won it as a freshman wow. and he won, won it every other year. And he lost one time there, but he, he lost in his pool and he avenged his loss in the finals to uh, Tim Anderson from Iowa who was from Des Moines, Dowling, Iowa. And he went to Iowa state a little bit or wrestled a little bit. At Iowa state. He went there for five years. Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, I, I was listening to the podcast last night. We didn't talk much about your college career. What, what led you to Iowa state? Did you consider going anywhere else or was it always going to be that Iowa state for you? Um, yeah. I mean, I considered other colleges, you know, other colleges popped up on my radar when I was a kid, I wanted to go to, I mean, I had my mind set up. I'm going to one of the Iowa schools or I'm going to one of the Oklahoma schools. And in my heart, I really wanted to <clears throat> go to one of the Oklahoma schools. My whole family's from Oklahoma. But at the time when I was about to choose colleges, <clears throat> Oklahoma had a um, pretty rowdy group of kids there that were, um, some of them were people that I knew as well. And um, they were good wrestlers and, and all of them, some of them went on to have international careers and everything like that. But my dad really didn't want me to go be at school with those guys. He thought it might not be a good idea. And he was right. But um, so I ended up going to Iowa state for a couple of different reasons. But um, one of the main reasons why I wanted to go to Iowa or Iowa state was when I was young, you know, like high school, young high school, um, into middle school. I remember the rivalry between Iowa State and Iowa and Iowa going for like their their 10th NCAA thing in a row and um, Iowa State. And then there was a duel between them and there's actually a documentary coming out about it. Um, Jim Gibbons is a, is a big part of it, my college coach, and it's it's called The Duel. And he was he was a 26 year old head coach and um, it had all these legends going against each other and Royce Alger and Mike Van Arsdale, Mike Kelly and Brad Penrith and just all these Iowa legends, all these Iowa state legends. And um, this documentary covers that, but I'm really excited about that documentary because it, without a, even it being a documentary, those, those videos and, and those rivalries and those names and those people that time that, that whole event happened and was like huge to me. I was like, man, I want, I want to go to that. I want to be in that on that stage. I want those people to watch me wrestle. And I didn't care if it was black and gold or red and gold. I, I wanted to be in that state. I wanted those people to watch me wrestle and I wanted to entertain. And I wanted, I wanted to do better than I did, but um, I'm proud of what I did. And I'm, I was really influenced by that group of guys that I'm talking about that like, gave me that dream and Nate Carr was probably the main guy and he's um he was just this really cool looking athlete he was he was fast and he was strong and he was good and he, and his matches were exciting and he got into these rivalries and 
everything about Nate Carr was cool. And, and I really looked up to him as a, um, a young athlete, but, um, then I went to Iowa state and then I got to meet Nate a few times. And, and then I, you know, I run into him still, but, um, I've known him throughout my life, you know, um, since college. And, uh, now he's someone that is just as much, if not more of a, um, to me, like a role model as a, as a human being and a, a person. Yeah. Jimmy and I got to meet him a, a few years ago. We went to NCAAs. I think it was 2017. It's already been that long. And, and we talked to him a little while and he ended up praying with us and, uh, just a salt of the earth person, you know? Um, so it, it's really cool to talk to him and his son, actually, <laughs> David texted me. He wants to be a comedian or he did want to at one point, And he, he messaged me about this book I told him to get. And, uh, they're just great, great people, the cars. Yeah. Um, uh, I recently went to a thing that Nate, uh, little men's get together where Nate gave a, um, a talk and it was awesome. And, uh, obviously I won't give you the whole talk, but, um, the main thing was like training your spirit, you know, and, and, uh, he's like, you know, if you, you, you claim you want to, you want to be a good person, you want to, you want to be a spiritual person, you want to be a Christian or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that's what I'm calling it. That's what he calls it. And, um, you have to train to do that. It's not just something you, you wanted to be a good wrestler, right? How many times did you train? What days did you train every day? How many times a day? Sometimes more than once. So your, your spirit and how you act and how you coach and how you lead and how you handle your relationships is something you train and you train for it every day. And there's specific ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been trying to get better about that. I mean, I, I pray every day, usually at least twice, and uh, it helps me immensely. You know, um, I, I tell people all the time there's a lot of power in praying, and, and if I'm in a funk about anything, I just, I, you can, usually can pray it away, you know, whatever it is. Um, have you found that pretty valuable, prayer? Sometimes it's the only, the la uh, the only thing you can do, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe in that a lot. And uh, I, it's a huge part of your personal relationship with God. And uh, I believe that with all my heart. And yeah. uh, I love the school that I that I uh, work at. And it's a Christian school. It's a Catholic school. And we get to express our faith to each other and we get to um, pray for each other and we get to pray together and we get to talk about um, examples of how wrestling relates to my, my journey as a human being and it fits together really well and it gels and, and I love it. Yeah. Can I tell you a crazy God story really quick? Absolutely. I love crazy God stories. <laughs> the other night, um, you know, without getting into all of it, comedy has been difficult lately. I've got a four year old and I try to plan my stuff strategically, like being out of town and all that. And I try not to be out of town as much and, I haven't worked as much as I used to. And um, so there's a variety of reasons why it's been difficult. Um, but lately, the other day I was in my car and I just did this show and it was kind of crappy. And uh, I was thinking to myself, I was just kind of feeling sorry for myself. I was like, I don't even feel funny anymore. Like I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'll just find something else to do. Maybe I'm just going to quit. And I was really considering like just quitting. I was like, I don't even think I enjoy it anymore. Just feeling sorry for myself. And then Mark Schultz has been on my podcast before and we don't, but you know, I, I consider him a friend, but we don't talk, we don't text, we don't, you know, 
Um, and I get this message. I'm having this thought about quitting. And I get this message from Mark Schultz saying, don't you ever quit comedy. You are great at it, blah, blah, blah. He gave me, said some really nice things. And then I messaged my friend, Kurt, who used to not believe in God or any of that stuff. And I, 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 I convinced, you know, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I prayed with him about it. And, and uh, now he does believe in God. And uh, I, I sent, my, sent this message to my friend, Kurt. And I said, God is real, dude. You know, I explained to him how I felt like quitting. And then I just get this random text message, like literally as I'm thinking it, Mark Schultz, who never texts me, texts me this. And then I go, God is real, dude. And no sooner had I sent send to my friend, Kurt, Dave or Mark Schultz goes, God is absolutely real. And and then he said some other nice things. And I mean, I, my mind was just blown and I still kind of felt like quitting, but I'm like, but I can't now, you know, like that was God speaking through Mark Schultz, somebody who was on a poster in my wall my whole life. And uh, it's kind of changed my attitude a little bit, you know, like, dude, you're still funny. It's just the circumstance, whatever. Um, and it's a hard it's a hard business sometimes. But um, I don't think it's grandiose to think that that was God talking through Mark Schultz and he and for him to say what he said immediately as I'm you know, unless he's a freaking mind reader, I'm like, that was God, you know, because I'm always asking God to show me the right way to go and put the right people in my path and all that kind of thing. And, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing, you know, and I'll never, I'll never forget it. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. How that timing worked out like that. And, and you can call it coincidence if you want, but you know, um, you find God in those things and you, uh, you have conversations with people that are, are meaningful and it might just be someone that maybe they aren't someone that's very instrumental or really in your life. It's just, you might be touched by the conversation, but, um, it's also awesome to, to see people's, um, gain their salvation. Just like earlier I was saying, it's awesome to see someone win a gold medal or, um, beat addiction or gain um, salvation through Christ. And it's, it, those kind of things are just incredible to see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Going as a coach, that feeling to see someone win a state title, it's the same. It's almost, it's not the same, but it's, it's the feeling of it is excellent. And to see people win and accomplish a goal and to work for it all year long and cross every T and dot every I, and then win by half a point at the very end off a yeah. slip or something or a trip up or, you know, you put one cent enough to pay the price to win that match. Every T you crossed, every I you dotted. When I see one of my kids accomplish that um, as a wrestler and it's, it's beautiful to see. It gives me the chills. Yeah. Well, even, even what we were talking about earlier with Chance Marsteller, I mean, how close was he to losing that second match in the very last second when Burroughs almost got that takedown and he did like a, he did like a sit out and, and almost a switch and prevented that takedown. And that was like the culmination of all that work being put in to that last second for it to come down to it the way it did. And for, you know, for Burroughs to get that close and you know how great a finisher he is and, for chance to just spin out of it and all that training just culminated at the exact right time. And, and, uh, to force the match three, it was, it was freaking amazing. 
Yeah, we um, were when we were watching that. I think it was my son Jake. He was right when he did that spin. He was like, "What was that?" And I was like, "That was wanting to win," is what that was, because it's just like, no, you shouldn't be able to do that. And yeah. he just he wanted to win so bad right there. He just he motored it. He motored yeah. up and just hit it. You know, it was it was pretty nice. Yeah, it was cool. Um, going back to what I was asking you about Iowa State. Um, how was your true freshman year? Like, did it take you a while to be able to compete in the room or did you get beat up at first or how was it? Yeah, I got beat up. I mean, <clears throat> there was, uh, there was a few kids that were my age and my weight, but not many, about two or three. And me and those guys, those guys are Iowa kids that came for like books and it took about a month and they're even with me because we all got in there with men and they just started kicking our butts. And so the kids that weren't as good as me caught up with me that fast. And then I could barely beat these kids that came the same year as me that weren't on a big scholarship. And then I wasn't scoring points on these older kids and it, it took a few months, man. And it just took getting tougher and working harder and learning what works and learning what doesn't work. And um, I remember one day specifically where Kevin Jackson came up to me and two people came up to me. One was Gary McCall, <clears throat> who was a three-time All-American for Iowa State. And he was a senior. And he told me, he goes, he goes, man, quit doing everything that worked for Eric Aiken in high school quit doing all those moves. They're not going to work anymore. You're going to have to get to the basics positioning. And Kevin Jackson came up to me one day and goes, I want you to do this today. I don't want you to do anything except try to stay head to head with the guy. No matter what happens, no matter what scramble, just try to glue your forehead to his the whole day. And I remember going up to Kevin after that end of that day. And I was like, I kind of chuckled and I go, Hey, I go, nobody can take me down anymore. And he was like, I told you. And uh, from that day forward, I was way, way harder to take down. It got to where all of a sudden in a few weeks, nobody was taking me down anymore. And then I started work, uh, figuring out what worked for me, you know. And, uh, and then that, my first year as a, as a wrestler, I mean, I lost my first wrestle off. And, um, you know, I had to, I mean, I had a tough team. You're sick. Couple. You're talking about your second year. You're yeah, my second year. I lost okay. my first wrestle off, and uh, I think it was overtime or real close or whatever. And Gibbons said something like, "Maybe I won one of them. I don't know. I don't think I did, but I remember he beat me for sure. I can remember that." Um, but we went to uh, a tournament called Northern Open, and and um, Gibbons said, uh, "Whoever does better here is going to go to Vegas next week." Well. He lost in the semis to Zapital like three to two and Zapital beat me 10 to five in the finals. So I placed higher, but he, he went cause he did better than I did. I didn't show the poise to comp compete. I went out there and did you know, five dumb things and got taken down five times or something. I lost 10 to five. And uh, so I had to work up to beat my teammate. And then I had to work up to like beat the best kids. But by the end of that year, I got eighth at the NCAA. So it, it worked out pretty good. Um, you know, at the, um, in, in my second year, I lost another wrestle off. I lost a wrestle off my second year. I was ranked number two in the country 
And we had a wrestle off the week before um, uh, the Northern Open again. And we had a wrestle off and um, this is a different kid. And he beat me and uh, in a close match, one point, whatever. And uh, we went to Northern Open that week and I won it and I beat the number one ranked guy in the country. <laughs> so I lost to my teammate on Tuesday and I beat the number one ranked guy in the country on Saturday. So wow. that's the kind of storm you had to weather. That's what how good you had to be every single day to go to practice at Iowa State and to protect your position and your spot and to reach your goal. And I picked that kind of that's another reason why I picked Iowa State, because I told, you know, I was like, man, I don't I don't want to go to some squam and make varsity easy. It won't push me. I won't be uh, then I'm. I'll be on TV and get my butt kicked in front of everybody. I want to go where I have to beat one of the best guys to be varsity. So I'm, I know that when I get in out in the middle of Carver Hawkeye arena, I'm at least going to be able to um, protect myself and wrestle a good match and earn the respect of the fans. Yeah. I remember, I think it was an interview, you know, when I was a kid, everything I could come across Eric Aiken, I would read it. And I remember reading this article and you were talking about being, I think it was your true freshman year and being in the stands and watching and getting tears in your eyes, thinking about, I'm going to be an all American next year. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. I remember that stuff for sure, man. I mean, you visualize like, like that all the time. And I think, um, if you're taught to do that the right way when you're young, um, you know, I, I went to a lot of college, um, not college camps, but camps coached by college coaches and college wrestlers when I was young and Olympic guys since age like eight or nine. And I, I was taught how to visualize. I was taught how to pray and um, pray for my, you know, before competition. And um, I was taught how to visualize my goal all the time. And it, it's an exercise. Visualizations an exercise. So, so are push-ups and pull-ups. So, I did pull-ups my whole life, so I can do them with good technique. I can do a perfect pull-up, show you how to do it. I can do it, you know, I do it good. Or I could if I wanted to. I don't do them anymore. But <laughs> um, <laughs> It's an exercise. So the more you do it, the better you get at it. And uh, people who visualize their whole life in a sport like wrestling and stuff, it's, it's a huge part of learning, but it's a huge part of your mindset. It makes your mindset advance you become an advanced mindset. I'm not saying you're like more special or smarter than other people or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that it's advanced at certain exercises, visualization and, and mapping out a goal and seeing a vision and getting feelings from it that give you tears, that give you chills, that give you a knot in your throat that make you want to stand up right now and do pull-ups it, there's a way to turn those switches on and off and through visualization exercise, you learn to do that and your mindset becomes advanced. So when you meet challenges in your life and there's switches, you need to shut down or shut on or doors you need to close temptations. You need to stop. You have the ability to do it. You just have to decide and be determined that you're going to do it now. And it might be an addiction. It might be um, salvation. It might be whatever, a temptation of any type and, yeah. or, or just motivating yourself to go to work, you know, to, to get it done. Yeah. But I, yeah, I absolutely remember that because your mind won't forget those things. I still have dreams that I win the NCAAs 
or the um, world championships. Does it bother me? Not really. You know, as a matter of fact, I know that the challenges have been where I went and how I bounced up from losses and stuff that molded me who I became. So I, I wouldn't, I realize now I laugh like, Oh man, I wasn't supposed to win that match. I was supposed to lose and climb that mountain. That taught me a lot, but, um, uh, whatever I lost. No, I, lost no, you, <laughs> you answered the question. Uh, um, I, you know, and I thought about that my senior year of high school, when we were, we were doing the parade before the tournament started. I thought about that interview and you visualizing that and getting tears in your eyes. And I remember getting tears in my eyes thinking, I'm going to win this. And, and I did. And uh, so, yeah, you know, you've been an influence on me since I was a little kid. And I, I remember that. Um, was I, I was going to ask you about Iowa State. Um, what kind of coach was Jim Gibbons? Was he because he was your coach at first and then you ended up with Bobby Douglas, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jim Gibbons is, well, was, and but he, I, he's still the same way, but he's super organized, systematic, strategic, um, on point, and everything he would do would be based on experience and what was right, what was wrong, what didn't work one time when we tried this. I remember him teaching us one time. He's like, we're wrestling, guys, every day, right up to the NCAAs. Maybe not the very last day before weigh but we're wrestling every day. And he told us, he goes, one year we thought we were going to take the last week or so off. We got to NCAAs and we all bombed. We were all stale. And uh, so we we always followed that, you know, and that was, um, that was something I feel like helped me throughout my career after college is um, making sure I didn't get stale by not moving my feet and grinding and banging and wrestling every day. Of course, you're a little more careful, you know, cause you get coming up on competition, got to get rid of some bruises, but he, he was really smart about that. But he, he didn't, he taught us like this. He, he would say, I'm, I'm not here to teach you what I know and what I do and what I did and what worked for me. He goes, I want to take what you do and what you've done. And I want to make it more better. I want to make it, make you do it more. I want to make you do it better. I want to make you do it perfect. And I remember days that, um, he, he had me doing the sweep single and it was me and my partner and Jim Gibbons. And he, he just stood there. And he, the first thing he said, okay, hit your sweep single. And I hit it. And then he, he's, he didn't say another thing, the whole workout except for do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And it went on for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And I, I remember getting mad and frustrated and tired, but I also remember getting better at it. And at the end of end of that workout, at the end of a couple of those workouts, whatever technique he had me doing, I, it, I was perfect at it. I wasn't perfect, but I, it became my, my weapon. It was my tool and my tool bag. And it was something I already did, but he cleaned it up. He had, now quit doing this. You're doing it like you did it in high school. Keep your elbows in or keep your chin up. It, just different things that um, he perfected what I already knew and he didn't want to reinvent the wheel. He was a really smart coach. I think he could have been an NFL coach, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love watching him uh, commentate because he's very good at breaking down technique and, and explaining to people, even if I told him in the interview we had together that um, he was very good at explaining things to it in a way that even people who didn't know about wrestling could probably understand it, you know, um, and, and just simplifying things. And I'm like, man, I, 
I wish I would have known that stuff when I was wrestling or, or had somebody explain it to me that way. Um, yeah. Was there anybody, I, I wanted to ask you real quick before I forget, what are your memories of Gons and, and Sonny? What was it like to have them as teammates? Um, everything about them makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> and laugh. I love those guys. They're like yeah. brothers to me. <clears throat> I mean, I still talk to both of them as much as I can. Yeah. And, uh, man, we can just pick up the phone and call each other and just start talking about something from 10th grade. Bam. Like it was yesterday. And we yeah. both remembering it exactly the same and, and laughing about it. And <clears throat> just, uh, you know, memories that will always be there never really have faded away at all. And, uh, they both were a big part of my wrestling career because, in my kid career, the two of the, the two toughest kids I ever wrestled from um, age eight through eighth grade were Gons Medina and Sonny Fight. And um, they pushed me. And then when we got outside of our own bubble and we there were a few kids a little bit better than than we were. Um, the reason I caught up with those kids and beat them was because of Sonny and Gons and wrestling with them every day. And the reason why Sonny and Gons got caught up with those people and beat them was because of the us other two. And uh, it was a really good um, steel sharpened steel relationship for a good number of years. And uh, we had a lot of a lot of good memories and fun times besides wrestling, you know, riding in the vans to the tournaments. We were I don't know what the deal was, but we were huge poker players back then. And <laughs> we're kids, you know, we're playing with 50 cents and dollars and whatever. But you know, you lose 20 bucks as an eighth grade kid, you know, and it's, <laughs> you're pretty upset. So yeah. we have some pretty good poker memories as well, but um, just they were two kids that were really upstanding kids, you know, grownups and adults respected. And they're like that as adults. And um, I'm proud to know both of them and basically be like brothers to both of them. Yeah. Super smart dudes. I love both those guys. Um, did, did uh, Gons, could he ever hit you in that headlock? Oh, yeah. Gons gets you in the headlock every now and then <laughs> at practice or whatever. And he, yeah. he got me in it when I was a kid before. He beat me in a real match. He beat me at districts one year. I think he got me in the headlock. I don't know if he got me in the headlock or not. I don't know if it even mattered. Gons beat me pretty good in the district finals. And uh, the whole Blue Valley Club was really excited about it. And, um, so the next week we went to state and I got fourth and Gons was the state champ. Was and that like one of your first years? Yeah. Well, we were, yeah, we were like 10 years old, but I mean, it was, I mean, those Kansas kids state tournaments are legit in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. my state titles that I earned in state medals, I earned at the Kansas USA state championships were, and no knock on my opponents from high school, but, my high school titers, titles weren't as hard as my kid titles. The kid titles are the whole state, man. Kansas USA Wrestling Kid State is a tough tournament, and that's a title, man, and it's awesome. Yeah. Your name goes on a list forever, and being the state champ as a kid, and it's hard to do, and the kids that do it have my respect. The stuff that I remember, dude, is funny, but um, I think it was my first year you won your second state title, and – you didn't think you won like you were i remember you being kind of pissed off and then they raised your hand and you i, I still remember the look of like 
you were mad and then they raised your hand and this look of elation. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I remember it because yeah, it was in Hayes, Kansas. And, um, I got, um, I won on criteria. It was two to two, you know, and it's wrestling. They changed the rules so much. I didn't, I didn't know if I won or lost, you know, is it overtime? Is it criteria? What year are we in? It was probably one of those deals. And I didn't, you know, I was young. I didn't know I was tied. I didn't know if I won or lost. I was probably mad because of that. Cause it was tied. But, um, that kid won my district weight the week before was spring break. And my dad took me to work. I was 11 years old and, uh, I was walking along in this house and I was looking up at the roof and I stepped in the chimney hole, a hole cut in the floor where the chimney is going to be. And uh, it's against the foundation. I fell to the, I was on the first floor. I fell to the basement on solid cement, but on the way down, I head butted the cement wall and then I landed on my kneecap. And this is on Thursday. I made weight the next day and wrestled at districts. And I, I had a huge lump on my head and I, um, I got fourth place and qualified for state. So at state, I wasn't quite as punchy in, in feeling the fall and the head injury and my knee injury. And I made it to the finals and I won in overtime against that kid. Um, Do you but, remember his name? Yeah. His name was Jamie Gomnitz and he was from Lawrence. Okay. He was a tough yeah. kid. I'd wrestled him a few times in my life. He had beaten me before and we, we had gone back and forth strong kid yeah i still i'll never forget the look on your face you went from just anger to elation in the. That, i mean that was one life. of the biggest comebacks of my life i mean i basically fell in a hole that you could die from and down to solid cement to this day landing on that um kneecap is the worst pain in my life I, I oh yeah hit me at the bat and i i came back around somehow a week later but I mean, I wrestled two days later and qualified for state, got the last spot to qualify fourth place. And, but the, I mean, I was 11 years old, but that was probably the biggest comeback of my life. <laughs> huh. Huh. Well, I'm glad I brought it up then. Um, that's pretty cool, man. Um, oh yeah. Something else I wanted to ask you. Do you, did you really steal your wife from some other Iowa state wrestler? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. I mean, kind of, I mean, she's a year older than I am. She wouldn't okay. like that I said that, but um, she was at Iowa state and her and this guy both went to the same school and Lewis central council bluffs and uh, came to Iowa state. And I guess a couple months after they went to school there, they broke up. And so when, by the time I got there, they really weren't dating, but I knew okay. both of them and stuff. And okay. I, I, she didn't have any boyfriends, but I might've stolen her from a couple other guys that liked her at the time. Okay. Yeah. I, beat her, I beat them to her. So. <laughs> That's something else I remember from that article. It said you stole your girlfriend from some other Iowa state guy. I just wanted to, I just wanted to ask you about it. Um, who did you look up to the most when you were a kid as far as wrestlers and were you intimidated when you met them? Um, like I said earlier, probably, probably Nate Carr. I mean, of course, Gable's like the goat, you know, all the time when you're a kid and, and even now really, but, um, the guy I wanted to be like was Nate Carr and, um, I wanted to compete like him. I wanted to go to college and wrestle and win in CAAs three or four times. And I wanted to go to 
the Olympics and the world championships and all the, the whole package like he did. But um, I wasn't intimidated the first time I met him, but the first time I met him was actually my senior year. We were at junior nationals and I didn't get to wrestle because I had a shoulder surgery and I wasn't healthy and I wasn't ready. And I had, but I went and watched and uh, Nate Carr had been like the world champ and the Olympic bronze, it was 1989. So he was like 87 world champ, 88 Olympic bronze. And he was there signing autographs. And I had my Iowa state shirt on. I was committed to Iowa state. So I went to this table that he was at and uh, I took my shirt off so he could sign it. And I put it down and uh, I go, I knew he probably didn't, you know, obviously didn't know who I was. And I said, I'm going to Iowa state and I'm going to beat all your records. And, uh, I said it jokingly and, uh, Nate, after he signed, he looked up and he goes, maybe, but are you going to be as exciting? <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was cool. And, uh, because my answer was like, probably not because <laughs> I was the fastest thing. I mean, they, um, Harold Nichols called him the fastest thing on two feet. I remember watching in an interview, Harold Nichols was the old Iowa state, Iowa state coach. And, uh, he wasn't far off the fastest yeah. thing on two feet. Yeah. Yeah. He's really cool, dude. I love Nate Carr as, as well. Um, is there somebody, let's see, what else do I want to ask? You know who else I look up to a lot as a guy you mentioned earlier, who's huge influence on wrestling is Wade Chalice. And um, he's just incredible. I mean, some of the moves he's innovated and made up like the lazy man cradle, the spladle, um, I think, I think the cement mixer is a, a Wade Chalice move, but he's so influential in the sport that you can probably break down more techniques and someone from Pennsylvania will be like, Oh yeah, my dad was the coach of this club and Nate taught this when to us when he was in college and then, and he made it up, you know what I mean? And, uh, they actually called a cement mixer from a town in Pennsylvania that, um, is a cement town and I, I forgot and that that kid from lehigh's name's rob roan he's from there and i i feel like nate cars i mean not nate car i feel like wade chalice somehow had an influence on that and uh but he he was just an incredible wrestler and he his influence on the techniques in the sport and i remember learning the chalice cradle when i was a kid and i was a middle school kid and kevin clem taught me the chalice cradle it's the spladle but we called it the chalice back then. No one called it the spladle. And um, he, Kevin Clement come from New York where he, they lived and he moved to Kansas city. And he had told me, I remember all this that he goes, I went to a camp at this guy named Wade chalice. And he told me all about Wade chalice. And he, he has this move called the, the chalice cradle. And he, he taught me the spladle and you didn't learn moves back then on the internet. You had books. There was a couple of books. And then you went to a camp or someone said they met so-and-so and, -so and they, they had learned this move from them and they had passed it on from this person. And it was a different world. It was snail mail. And that's how you learned moves about as fast as snail mail, even slower. Yeah. And <clears throat> I remember he taught me the spladle. I was in junior high and I was split. I was spladling kids. And my dad would be coaching me and have to tell the, um, referee he'd have to yell out and say that's a that's a shellless cradle it's called a shellless cradle the kid's pen to get over there pen. and the ref would get over there and be like oh he's right and went and call a pen and there were multiple times where the ref after the match 
got me and my dad over in the corner and, and said, Hey, show me what that move is. What, what was that? And even, even when I was a freshman in high school, that was 1986, I uh, started splatling kids and no one knew what it was. I, I'd be wrestling a senior. I was a freshman. I'd stick my leg out and they're like, what's this dumb kid doing? They'd take it and I'd splatle them right in front of everybody and get the pin. And there were times where like seniors from the other team after the duel would grab me and be like, Hey, will you show us that move? And, and I'd teach it to them and show people the splatle. So I kind of spread the splatle around actually. And Kevin Clem did um, in the Kansas area to begin with, we, we were teaching it to referees and coaches and, that's how slow techniques moved back then. Yeah. Yeah. Wade Chalice was a pinning machine too. I mean, that guy pinned everyone under the sun. And I mean, I think I had him on my podcast. He pinned like, I don't know, several world champions and uh, yeah, ton, like 27 different NCAA champions. He pinned just crazy stats, like stuff where you're like, is this real? And yeah, it's freaking real. Um, you know, Rand. Randy Lewis has a lot of pins too. I think him and Wade Chalice have still like hold scholastic pin records amazingly, but um, there's a, um, I think um, I lost my train of thought for a second. It's all but, right. We're oh, Randy Lewis. He's there's a stat about him. Kyle Klingman wrote an article how Randy Lewis had pinned someone on every world or olympic team either pinned or beaten and i think it was pins and it was like a a span of like 16 years and three or four olympics of had at least one guy on that team that randy lewis had beaten wow the pin or a win but yeah recently no. recently after the ncaa's i was i was curious and i have my own little notes and things that I read. I don't really, it's not something I show to someone and I don't care if I show it to someone, but I was, I wrote down like what I thought were some of the craziest pins I've seen at the NCAAs. Cause I saw that one this year with um, the kid from Purdue and he pinned Spencer Lee and, and I've, I've seen some pretty crazy pins in my lifetime. Um, if you consider Olympic and world team trials as well, but um, I made a list of all the, the NCAA finals mostly is what they are. And there's, it's pretty crazy how many there's big upsets and pins back then. And Baumgartner got pinned by Bannock and just crazy stuff like that. Remember uh, uh, Bubba Jenkins pinned David Taylor. And, yeah. and, and if you make a list of about 10 of them, they're all, they're all like, Oh yeah, man, it's crazy. Got Kyvin Gadsden pinned uh, Snyder. But Snyder was a freshman, but still, it's yeah, Kyle Snyder's NCAA finals. I don't care what grade he's in, right? Yeah, so th there's some amazing falls like that, but um, a lot of them I either saw live in person or on TV and and some of that stuff. So, what, what was your opinion on uh, because I admit at first when Spencer Lee um defaulted out of the tournament as a fan, I was kind of like. I don't know, pissed off about it. And, uh, but then I was like, you know what? I don't know what's going on with that kid. And it's not my place to judge him. Um, what was your, as somebody who was, you know, one of the toughest guys I know, what was your opinion I on think, it? Yeah. Uh, I think he's, uh, I think he's probably injured and didn't want to use it for an excuse because of that's how he is. It's his mindset. 
I mean, I don't know him. Actually, I've never talked to him before, but just from what I can, from listening to the guy and watching him compete, watching him talk, listening to his coaches, knowing who his coaches are, personally knowing his coaches, those kind of people rub off on other people. You know, you're around them every day. His mindset's probably similar to a brand's mindset in some ways. And he's probably a different person in quite a few ways, but he's probably injured and didn't want to use it for an excuse. And I mean, I don't think it's really for any of us to have an opinion about it. I mean, of course, yeah. we're human beings, we're going to have an opinion about it, but it doesn't really matter what your opinion is. And uh, I think he's, I don't know if I've seen a college wrestler better than him. I think I saw Kyle Dake make less mistakes in college, but I think I saw Spencer Lee score more points than Kyle Dake. And uh, Kyle Dake is, uh, I've seen him wrestle a lot of matches, um, call, all his college matches in CAAs and World Team Trials, Olympic Trials. The dude never makes a mistake. And uh, he might not score a lot of points, and then sometimes he might. You know, he might five a guy two times. And, uh, but I mean, Spencer Lee has an argument for being the best ever, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way he turns people over, it makes it look like a kid's tournament. And I'm like, I know it's not that easy, but he sure made it look that way. He, 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 he must just be freak strong. Um, yeah. not, not that that's all there is to it, obviously, but, um, I would yeah. like to just feel how strong that kid is. It's definitely not all there is to it, but, uh, if you're honest with yourself and you make it to a high level of wrestling, I can ask most of my friends and teammates that were part of like team USA and things like that. And I can say, Hey, how many people in your life did you, have you like tied up with? And you thought, Whoa, this guy's stronger than I am. And some of those guys will sit and think for about less than five seconds and say zero <laughs> and, or one, and it's probably the guy that beat him for the gold. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, because my number is like two, there's like two human beings I've ever grabbed that I thought, Whoa, this guy stronger than I am. And, and it's been that way since I was a kid. So I, I knew I, I was born with some freak strength or I don't know if it was from carrying boards and climbing trees or what, but um, I've asked that same question to teammates on my world, on the U S world team that I'm on the world team with, you know, you're, you're sitting around for hours in hotel rooms and planes and buses and saunas. And you think of, you think of things to ask each other to see what, it, I wonder if his brain's like my brain, does he think like me, you know, things like that. What does he experience this? So, you know, you, you explore those kind of things and, and I've asked that question to people. And most of those guys are like, like I asked that to Terry Brands, how many people have you grabbed are stronger than you? And he was like, zero. <laughs> and I believe him a hundred percent. Cause I never grabbed anyone stronger than Terry Brands is as far really? pound for pound. But um, strength is huge, but you have to do a lot of things around the nucleus of strength to be a great wrestler. Yeah. Who are the two guys that you tied up with that you thought this guy's stronger than me? Sammy Henson for sure. He, that guy's freak strong and yeah. he's, he's a beast. I mean, he's, I mean, look at him right now, man. He's, he's 52 years old and he's jacked Yeah, and he's strong. I've, I've never grabbed another human being as strong as him. And I've even gone through tournaments. I went through the challenge tournament once where I won it. And at the end of the tournament, I told my coach, I told Kevin Clem, I said, Hey man, 
I go, I feel like, I mean, I feel like I, I'm, I'm good at technique, but I feel like I just horsed all these kids younger than me. I was 34. I won the challenge tournament and I had to wrestle the only guy older than me, Sammy Henson in the finals, best out of three. And after I wrestled him, I thought, what, do, what do these guys feel like wrestling him? Because I felt like I outmuscled everybody. I felt like I did good technique too, but it was good because my, my hips were strong. My grip was strong. My body was strong. And then I wrestled Sammy Henson and I was like, Whoa, that's off the charts. Yeah. And, uh, besides Sammy Henson, I'd probably have to say, I mean, uh, Chad Zapital, he wrestled at Iowa and him and Sammy are guys like there's matches. I wrestled them where I, I, you know, I left the match thinking, man, I felt a little stronger than him that time. And then there's ma matches where I walked off the mat and I was like, that makes me want to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll ever be that strong, you know, and it, it might be how you made weight. It might be nutrition or whatever, but those two guys, man, those guys were, were free strong and, and, uh, both had blue collar dads. Uh, Zappola's dad was a carpenter. Henson had a blue collar dad. And I'm sure those guys had to work to pay their rent just like me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the hardest thing you think you've ever had to deal with, whether it was wrestling or, or off the mat? Uh, <laughs> um, well, shoot. The hardest thing for sure is making weight, man. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. I've had challenges in my life that are humongous that that uh, I wouldn't give them back. I'm glad I faced them and they built me as a human being. And when they happened, I, I embraced them. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I did that. And I did that because of my faith. It's what I've learned from keeping myself in the word and in scripture. And and I and I was ready for um, the, the challenges so far that have came in my life and uh that doesn't mean i'm going to be ready for every challenge because you always got to be ready it could be a, you're in a storm or leaving a storm or heading in a storm so be ready for the storm but um during those challenges one thing i embraced about it was um i got my family and my and my i told my family and my wife and i was like listen no this is awesome and they're like what's wrong with this dude what do you mean this is awesome and i was like one week into this challenge, I'm faced with this other challenge. It was going to take X amount of time to conquer this challenge. But if I, if I don't fail for the next few weeks, in spite of this new obstacle, I, that's a shot at the world champ. One week into my career, I got double challenged, you know? So um, that's just the way I've been raised, man. The way I've been trained and you just, something bad happens you bow your neck you you grit your teeth and you you just fight and you go and you pray and you just go and you put it in god's hands and you do your best but um i'd have to say that some of my weight cuts were some of my most challenging moments and and so i mean you're you can't eat you can't drink yet you, you don't want to talk you don't want to think you don't you have to go sweat in a little bit and it's man it's intense and it it digs deep into your ability to withstand discomfort to a point where it'll make a grown man cry. And yeah. I've, I've been in my hotel bed and been three pounds over still and can't get a, 
a minute of sleep and and all of a sudden <clears throat> my coach comes in and like taps me like hey man you got 90 minutes till weigh-ins we got to go get this last three pounds off and you, you just lose it and you, you don't know if you're going to make the weight you lose it mentally before you lose the weight it's what i'm saying but and I, I broke down in tears right there you know for a minute and a 29 30 year old man and then all right sucked it up and let's go grab my bag and you go do it and you get it done and and when you get done it's fulfilling but one of the things that kept me going when i feel that uncomfortable and i feel that miserable and i feel that sorry for myself and I think about giving up and I've, I've thought about myself, how unfair it was, like how thirsty I have to be. Other people don't have to be this thirsty because I, I, I think I know a thirstiness and a dehydration that most people will never reach unless it's an accident. And the people that have been thirstier than me, those are the people that keep me going, that, that would keep me going. I would think about how. I would just all of a sudden slap myself in the face and be like, you know what? I can give up and walk over there to that drinking fountain or that faucet and get a glass of water. But there's some kid somewhere in some other country waiting in line to drink, get a sip out of a muddy puddle because it's the only water he gets. And he doesn't have a choice. I have this choice between giving up right now and taking a swallow or I can accept this comfort level that I'm at. And one of the things that that taught me to always reflect on and teach my own kids and other people is that when, when I feel like that because of this or because of that, one thing I have to remember is there's thousands of people out there that would trade positions with me right now, no matter how bad I think I got it or how much more I think other people got it better than me. There's thousands of people that would take my shoes and bear the pain of all my problems right now. They would trade with me in a heartbeat. So I have to check myself in every now and then and bring myself back to reality and realize that comfort is just a state of mind and I got to keep going. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been trying to, read more and understand more of the Bible all the time. And today I just asked God, I was like, I'm going to open the Bible and I don't know what part it's going to be in the Bible, but uh, help me to learn something. And I opened it and it just happened to be the book of Matthew. And it was where Jesus goes and he prays to God and he asks him if there's any other way uh, to take this suffering that I'm about to endure away, please do. And if it's not, then if that's your will, I will take it. And he prayed that same prayer three times, and that's Jesus, you know. he So even Jesus had tr had trials where he was like, you know, I if, if you can take this from me, please do so. And every time I've prayed in that way, like when I'm facing something that I don't want to face or something I would like God to change, I just say, the same thing. Like if, if I, if you can take this from me, please do. And if not, I'll accept it as your will and I'll get through it. And every time I've done that, it's been okay. Um, so I think that was just a good reminder for me today. And that reminded me of what you were saying that, you know, even Jesus was tempted and even he had to, you know, wander through the desert for 40 days without food and, and, you know, all those things. Um, so there's, I guess my point is there's always something 
worst that someone has dealt with. Um, and when, you know, if I'm nervous or whatever, I always think, well, you're not getting ready to get crucified, you know, for something you didn't even do like Jesus did. So you can get through this, whatever it is. Um, so that, that made me think of that. And, uh, um, it's also comforting to know that it's promised to you that you're not going to face a temptation or that you can't, uh, turn away from and you can't say no to now you might meet challenges in your life that are that are something you can't beat, but you're not going to meet a challenge that doesn't make you stronger and better and you're not going to meet a temptation that you can't resist and you just have to put your heart and your mind there yeah absolutely um the last question i'll ask you is uh what are you most proud of in your life and whether it's wrestling or your family or. Um, I hate to use the word proud because I don't know, but um, no, I understand. The thing I cherish the most is my salvation. Um, my salvation, my family and my sobriety. And uh, I think those things are, the things that I love the most and that I'm that I think about the most every day and that I care about and that I exist for and that keep me going. Have you dealt with self-destructive things in your life? Yeah. Anybody does all kinds of mental weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you care to elaborate on any of them? You don't have to. Um, I mean, I'm not ashamed or, um, um, try to hide anything, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm a sober person. I'm actually coming up close to, um, one year sober. And, um, so, you know, I spent most of the younger part of my life, not really, um, indulging in alcohol on a regular basis. Um, like any other college kid, you know, you do what you do and you binge and this and that, but wrestling won't allow that. And I competed till I was about 36 was my last competition. And one of the things I always thought I missed out on was being this, this normal um, person that didn't have to be thirsty and didn't have to worry about eating fat and grease and unhealthy things and being able to drink um, regularly instead of just sometimes in the off season and stuff like that. So probably for like 15 years when, when I was about 36, um, I started, um, eating whatever I wanted to eat and drinking whatever I wanted to drink and living what I thought was like a, a normal life. And I was always taught like, Hey, don't do that now. Wait till you're done. You can drink all the beer you want when you retire. Well, that turned out to be a lie and it's not their fault, fault for lying, <laughs> but, um, I, you know what I mean? It, it was an yeah. exaggeration, but, um, so, um, I just came to a point where I didn't feel as healthy as I could be my weight, um, my mind. I didn't feel like I was being as good as I could be at everything that I can do as far as being a, a, a dad and a, and a husband and a, um, a coach and an employee and just everything in life. Um, I've never had any problems with, my employment or my, my family or anything like that. But 
it wasn't an A plus and that's not good enough. And I've always strived for being the best in the world, the best in the NCAAs, the best in the state. And um, so I guess that lifestyle got old pretty fast and um, destructive um, because I wasn't the best at my goals. So um, I, number one, I prayed about it a whole bunch or I pray, I mean, seriously prayed. So I, not really a whole bunch, but just I prayed about it and I was 1 million percent determined that like I wanted it so bad, like that double cheeseburger at Freddy's when you're hungry, want it like I would, I wanted it. And there were times I'd kind of toyed with um, trying to get sober and let's see what this is like. Can I do this? And I knew I could do it. I was like, hmm, this is hard work, but I know I can do it. Do I want to do it? And I didn't get determined and I didn't. But um, when I decided to do it, I just got determined, man. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn it over to God and I'm going to pray and I want it to happen with all of my heart and, and I don't know how to explain it because a lot of people don't have this experience, but it was like instantly gone from my heart and I didn't ever, I never got the sweats. I never got the shakes and then I, I don't have urges to drink. I don't want to drink and I, I have urges to stay healthy. Like I, um, and train and, you know, get my body healthy and train. I mean, when I say train, I mean my mind, my spirit, and the way that I act, the way that I teach, the way that I lead, the way that I follow, the way that I listen. And um, so it, it was, it was incredible, man. It was, it was like a miracle. And uh, the way that my prayer was answered and the way my sobriety happened. And at that same time as another problem came on in my life that I kind of spoke about earlier, that was a pretty big problem. And it was like serious problem. Like people would like, most people will have a heart attack over it. You might lose your house. Okay. And I didn't, you know, because I, I was sober and I stayed sober and I prayed about it and I did the right things and took the right steps. And I took it as an opportunity. I'm like, man, I get to, I get to fight the world champ one in week into my sobriety. This is awesome. I haven't even had these other nine fights yet. And he just gave me a shot at the belt, man. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I'm embrace it now and take it. And I went with that feeling and, um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care how you got sober. I don't care if it was with yourself. I don't care if it was because of God. I don't care if it was because of Alcoholics Anonymous, however you did it, however you're doing it, you're a miracle. And keep doing it but that's how i did it and uh i wanted to do it and um so it's, it's kind of i guess hard but simple to explain and i don't expect everybody to have that experience and then it's not like i've had a lot of experiences in my life where that happened i mean i feel like i do know that there's three answers to prayer there's yes there's no and there's wait and yeah um the answer to that one was yes 
and it was like it rang my doorbell the second i prayed it and uh so i'm you know my 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 mind my body my life everything got healthier um i i was weighing like in the 60s it kind of sucked i mean i i still probably looked pretty good shape for someone my age but I started using my sauna and steam every single day because I could. And um, I have a steam room and a sauna and a cold plunge. And it just melted the fat off of me. And the next, you know, a few months later, I'm like, what the heck? I have a six pack again. I didn't expect to see that. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's, it's clean living can do a lot of things for you physically and mentally. And, and, you know, I pray for all those people out there every day that fight addiction and, and have those daily struggles and, and need um, someone to follow them or talk to or meeting every single day and things like that. And, and um, I pray for those people and, and what they're doing is, is a miracle, man. I don't care how you're doing it. If you're doing it, you're a miracle. Keep doing it. And yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. That's what I was talking about earlier. Just like seeing people win a gold medal or seeing somebody get sober and gain their sobriety or seeing someone get salvation and, and or seeing someone reunite a relationship that went South. And those things are awesome, man. Those things are love and those things are God and it. It touches the the heart. Yeah. I, I remember when I decided to quit drinking, it took me a few weeks to quit, to actually quit. But I got up and I had a really, I had had a red, I used to wake up at like 6 a.m. and anxiety would just flood my stomach, not remembering what I did the night before. And I would go into the hotel room and I would put, a, I'd go into the hotel bathroom and I would put a towel under the door and turn up the water like I would to, to lose weight and I'd make it hot in there. And I would kind of sweat it out. And I remember praying, God, please help me stop doing this to myself. And I swear to you, Eric, I heard an audible voice say, help yourself. And it was like God telling me, I have given you everything you need to quit doing what you're doing and to become everything I made you to be. Just in those words, help yourself. And you know, I, I it, it took me a couple of weeks to actually quit, but when I did, I did, and it's been 12 years, and I've never fallen off, fallen off the, the alcohol wagon. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely definitely worth it, and I appreciate you telling me that. And uh, got to get out of here, but is there anything else you would like to say before we do? Um, not really, man. Just it's good to talk to um, <clears throat> talk to you and talk to the um, wrestling community and people that might get to watch this podcast and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And, and by the way, um, I do want to say something. I've watched some clips of some of your um, stand-up comedy recently and, and you are funny, dude. And you're awesome. I love it. And uh, I want you to keep doing it. And uh, I don't, I don't want to repeat the jokes that I heard right now <laughs> for your own material and it's yours, but um, it, you're awesome, man. I tell people about you all the time and uh Keep, keep up your passion for uh, people and the sport and comedy. I will. I will, buddy. I, I, I really have no choice when it comes down to it. You know, like this, these are the things I love, stand up and wrestling. And, and it gets challenging like everything else, anything else. But, uh, you know, it's, it's 
what I believe God wants me to do with my life and what he put me here for. So I'm not going to quit. And it, it was, I can't tell you how freaking weird it was to be having the thoughts that I was. And for Mark Schultz to say, don't you ever quit? And I'm like, what? Is this guy reading my freaking mind? And that was all through God. You know, that was, that was God talking to him. Like eh, he definitely looks up it. to this guy. Yeah. It's pretty I cool. I love so. those stories, man. Yeah. Well, buddy, this should be up tomorrow, so I'll make sure and uh, and share it and everything, and and you can, uh, yeah, your your wife's definitely will have to share it. I know you're too smart to be on Facebook, so. <laughs> a little bit too. Oh yeah, yeah. How's that? How's that going? Have you guys been hanging out a little bit? Yeah, I haven't seen him in a few weeks. We I just got busy, and I had to get my plants in the ground, my flowers, and all my good stuff. But um, yeah, we went to a. I took him to another men's thing. We went to a men's thing and listened to these guys at a Christian church. And it was a guy talking about some stuff. It was pretty cool. And, uh, but we're, I'm going to have him over to sauna and, and hang out and we're going to do a little Bible study together or something sometime soon. That's cool, man. Family men. So we always talk about, we need to get together. And then we got life. Yeah. Yeah. He lives with my daughter. You mentioned that uh, cold plunge. Do you recommend that? Because I take cold showers, and I think that helps. But I've I've, I've read about the plunge. I, you know, I have it outside of my sauna. I do it more like a, um, like the Finnish people or the Swedens or whatever. <clears throat> they get hot in a sauna or steam room, and then they get into a cold tub. And I have like a seventy-five gallon horse trough. I fill up about fifty gallons of it, and it comes straight out of the hose water because I had hooked it up to my cold water in my basement. And uh, it's usually cold enough, especially the winter time, but you can add ice to it. But I sit in my sauna or steam till I get so hot. I need to get in it. And it's like a shock and it's like, Whoa, it, it feels awesome. I love that. And I, I was thought to do that when I started, you know, in college, they had us do it in the showers to get the ice cold showers to get the whole team in the sauna and get out, get in the showers. And then I've been to health clubs that had plunges and I always love the effects of it and how it like, made me feel on alert and I do the cold shower thing too, but I have to take a hot shower first and then I'll switch it to cold at the, the last couple of minutes. I can't okay. just get in and cold, you know, something about it. I don't know if I could handle it. it might make me like pull a muscle in my back flinching. <laughs> yeah, man. Every morning I get up and I have a little boy's four, so he doesn't care how late I've been up the night before. And I turn on the cold shower and, <laughs> and every morning I go, I go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I step under that cold water and just at first I'm like, I just take a deep breath. And after a couple of minutes, I can handle it. And I stay in there for four or five minutes. And, uh, you know, and then I, I, I'm awake. It's better than coffee or anything, you know. Um, Always the one that wants to be the pirate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you saw that one, huh? Yeah. Um, That's good. I've, I've already used it a couple of times. Yeah, he's four and a half, man, and uh, I hope he wants to wrestle, dude, because he just, he's got these hips. He's four and a half, and I pick him up, and if he decides he wants to be on the ground, I'm like, geez, Louise, you're so freaking, he's just got, the, he's only weighs, he weighs less than 40 pounds, but he's got some hips, man, so well, we'll see. this, man. Take him, take him to watch some high school wrestling duels doesn't matter what team it is. Just take him to watch some of that. And then 
take him to maybe watch some kid wrestling practices. And that's, that's like the bait. Those two things, you take a kid to that and, and they light up and, you know, and then you, it, you have the question like, Oh, do you think you might want to try that? Especially after they watch the kid practice. And that's where you really lo- fall in love with it. I think, I mean, that's what I did. My dad taking me up there to Shawnee mission West and I saw high school kids wrestling. And then I saw kid wrestlers wrestling and I wanted to be a part of it, you know? And I, yeah. I saw it. And I fell in love with it. And he took me to the um, state wrestling meets after my first couple of wrestling season. And I saw the high school state wrestling meet and I saw people become state champs. And I was like, there's where that vision was born. And I was like, man, I want to be that. I want to be a state champ. And it instantly stamped it in my bucket list. And, you know, that's how all those wrestling dreams for me were born. I don't know how it was for you. I mean, I don't know if Jim, I don't remember. Did Jimmy start wrestling before you got on the mat or did you both start at the same time? I would um, it was the same year. I was seven and he was nine, I believe. Um, and I was, I was, I was kind of, I mean, I was younger than him. So the kids he was wrestling had a few years of experience and they, but, um, but we were both pretty good out of the gate and, and being, you know, pretty close in size, we started wrestling and, I remember we went to Shawnee Mission West too, and we couldn't find the wrestling room. And I remember part of me thinking, like, if we don't find it, I don't have to do this. <laughs> but then we did find it, and we both took to it pretty pretty quickly. So you know what? Uh, you know what's crazy about uh, one of the things I should have said earlier when you were talking about wrestling and how, you know how hard it was or whatever. I told this to someone the other day. I told my wife, I think we were talking about something. Somehow I ended up telling her this, but I, I said, man, you know what? Um, I, I can totally remember this memory. This is weird to remember something this far back, but it's also weird that someone this young was thinking this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe not. I'm not as weird as I think, but um, I was about seven or eight years old and my dad had taken me to a Shawnee Mission West to meet and we came home and, we're getting out of his van. We're walking inside. And I remember thinking about, you know, what we just went and watched and was kind of excited about wrestling. And the exact thought that came in my head is I, I said to myself, I think I can be good at this because I think it's something that a lot of people will quit. And I don't think I will. And I remember being like young, young thinking that thing thinking that like at like seven or eight and i remember thinking yeah wrestling might be my gig because a lot of people will quit so in in essence i was choosing the easy way out i was (laughs) cool of fish that were there's less of them you know (laughs) a smaller population to compete against maybe i was looking at the easy way and picked the hard thing on accident (laughs) (laughs) no I remember I had that mindset that young. I remember thinking, yeah, I can be good at this because it's hard. And a lot of people are going to quit. I I remember that exact thought. Yeah. Already knew at that age that it was human tendency to pick the easy way. Yeah. And, you know, if if Micah wants to wrestle, like I I said this in our first podcast, but my dad didn't do this. Some of the stuff he did on purpose. I don't think he realized what he was doing, but. My second year of wrestling, I went 49 and three and I got fourth at state. So 
um, it's pretty good for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid. And like the next week after state, I remember wanting to wrestle around with my dad. And he goes, you didn't want to wrestle last week. And the next three years, I got beat out at state. And I'd be like undefeated or have like one loss going into state. But I would get to state and I would be like, I would put so much, I would give it so much power. And kids that I had beaten all year would beat me. Um, because, and then I finally eventually started placing every year once I got out of that mindset. But I think I will be good at, at teaching Micah, like, this is not the end all and be all son. This is just, I just want you to get better at it, you know, and have fun doing it. Dude, 100%, just like that. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that made Johnny a good wrestler is that, um, he, you know, when we started out wrestling, he was right away was one of the hardest workers around in the whole. It didn't matter if it was my novice team or my open team. He was automatically one of the most focused, hardest workers and didn't say anything. But he wasn't the best kid. He wasn't the worst kid and he wasn't the best kid. But um, when we switched to open, he wasn't absolutely killing it. He was too way too good for novice, but couldn't win an open match yet. And he was like, oh, and nine. And I told him, I'm like, dude, it's this whole thing's a mountain climb and you're going to fall down sometimes and you're going to get back up and climb and you're going to fall back down and you're going to get back up. And I taught him this mountain climb metaphor. And I told him how, like, you know what? When you fall down, you look up and you're like, hey, I've already climbed this. I can do it again. And you're going to climb right back up and you're going to get to the top. And someday you're going to fall all the way back to the bottom and you're going to look up and be like, whoa, I've already climbed this. And then I listed off a few other kids. I go, you know how good so-and-so is and this kid and that kid? Kids have been killing it since they were six, right? Never lost. I told him, I said, when they lose the first time, they fall down and look up and they think, whoa, I didn't realize it was that hard to climb. I'm burned out. That's what burnout is. You see how high the cliff is. And, um, so every time he fell, he climbed and, and it was a gradual climb till he like placed at state. He beat that guy, made it to state. And then he beat that guy at state, the defending champ. And then he lost the next three matches and got sixth. Then the next year he won kids state, you know I mean? Like the way it stepped up like that and the journey, how I explained it at the beginning was, it was written by God. And it is the way that my, that God, the obstacle he wanted um, for my son to climb and wanted me to be his leader through this journey. Instead of just all of a sudden I crap out a world-class athlete like John Smith, you know what I mean? Like the Smith family having eight all Americans, you know, what I mean? <laughs> or, or the, the art, you know, and, uh, they uh, when Nate Carr, by the time he was even before he was even in college, he had two brothers. That, one had already made a world team. I think both of them had made world teams. One of them made a senior world or an Olympic team. Jimmy Carr made it 16. Yeah. And so Nate was like, man, my my goal was to be the best one in my family. <laughs> I would cover all the stones, you know, and it, that's kind of cool. But um the way that we Johnny's career was approached like that. Number one, it we took it slow. Number two, he looked at it the way it really was. 
the model of a Christian journey, the model of any journey is an up and down. You know what I mean? And you're not going to get great success right off the bat on anything. And if you don't experience some challenges and some temptations, it's hard to deal with them when you finally have to, you know? And uh, so that's, you know, that's why it's when he got injured in college and stuff, I wasn't even worried. He's not a hundred percent back from that journey. You know, he's not back to the top of the mountain. I'm not even worried about it because I know wherever the path leads is it's fine. And I know that if he wants to climb all the way to the top, come back and make it as far as he makes it in wrestling from the injury, he's going to climb that too, you know? And, uh, but having that whole approach, it, it taught me a lot being in wrestling already before I knew I'd seen things my whole life. I'd been around my teammates like yourself and other kids who um, had dads like my dad. And it doesn't work for every kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't be John Aiken to every kid, you know? Yeah. It, it takes a special person to, um, you know, I asked my dad all the time. He used to be like, don't, don't do your act like this to your kids. He used to say that to me. And he would say, and I would say, well, how come you act like this to me, but not my sisters? Or you you told me to not to be like this to my kids or do these things. And he goes, I, and my dad said this to me. He goes, I identified something about you that was different. And I'm like, yeah, that, is that your excuse? Or is that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think it's the truth because I like to think I'm superhuman. Anyone would, anyone does. Yeah. But, um, you know, just because, and I only like to think that because I know I'm going to face challenges that God wants me to um, get past. And you yeah. have to have confidence about it. You have to have a strong faith. You have to have prayer and all that stuff and you have to believe that you have the ability because of what god's put you through that to get through the next storm yeah i've been trying to put that stuff in micah since since literally since he brought home from the hospital just saying things to him every night and and to be a leader and not a follower and all that kind of stuff and and i see it like it'll be in this little gym class we go we take him to and and you know he's a pretty good boy does what he's supposed to or whatever but he doesn't do everything these other kids are doing and if he falls down or something he'll say to me daddy i fall down i get right back up you know and okay. stuff like stuff like that you know and uh so i don't know what he's gonna do or what he's gonna be into but um i've just been trying to instill those little nuggets in him literally since the day he was born um, yeah you got the right idea because what you said to me is basically you're going to let him know that you love him no matter what, win or lose, wrestle or no wrestle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. what matters more than anything. All wrestling is is an um, is a tool to sharpen your relationship with your son and for both of you to sharpen character values in that process. You know what I mean? That's what it's all about because your wrestling book with your son, only it's only a – dinky chapter in your book with him you know and that's yeah. what johnny know i told johnny i'm like dude if you don't wrestle again i don't care i want you to decide if you're going to wrestle again i want you to do it at peace and i want it to be your goal not my goal you know yeah what we've written in wrestling is a lifetime of value and if you want to write more we can 
as you a competitor, if you want to write more as you and me, both coaches, we can write it that way, but we're always going to be writing wrestling. It's part of our, our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Kobe Bryant, I, Kobe Bryant, I was listening to an interview with him one time and his, he said his, he came home from some camp and he was like, dad, I couldn't score a point. And his dad goes, Kobe, I love you the same if you score 60 points or zero points. And he said it gave him permission to fail. And cause he knew he was loved no matter what. And that, that really hit home with me. I'm like, yeah, that's all you got to really do. You know, let him know you love him no matter what. Yeah. You just made me think about, you just made me think of something when you said that is, Permission to fail is permission to succeed. Yeah. It's permission to grow. And when, when your coach or your parents,